You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. So, uh, we were greeted, oh, well, last night actually, we were greeted by uh, snow here in the UK. And uh, so I think there was snow last year, but, I don't, you know, it's it's actually stayed in London. I'm sure areas of uh, the rest of the UK are completely covered. I know just outside of London, in Kent, I've heard that it's about uh, six inches of snow. So do you have any snow? Where you, well, actually, you're, you're down in Mitcham, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, for me, <coughs> there's no winter if, if there is no snow. So it okay. has to be winter. So uh, <laughs> it has to be snow. So I, um, I love, you know, uh, when uh, snow falls, I love watching it. Yeah. yeah. It's re- really beautiful, you know, seeing uh-huh. And uh, I used to have that, you know, 15 or 20 years back. It was really heavy snow. It mm-hmm. used to be very yeah. heavy snow in London. Yeah. But I'm not sure. After a very long time, it was very heavy snow. Yeah, I, d- I don't think it, they, it gets so heavy now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem to kind of like stay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's heavy like the hearts of most English fans, I would say, <laughs> uh, after England's performance uh, against um, against France. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you watched it, Imran. I did. Uh, I mean, yeah, What's there's your a thought lot of- on referee? Oh, you know, just what can you say, right? Uh, I was just hoping that it was, he wasn't going to be as bad as the referee mm-hmm. in the uh, previous game I'd watched, who'd given something like eighteen yellow cards yeah, yeah. for I can I couldn't even see why he was giving some of the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, there were definitely penalty decisions which weren't given, um, several, and even. Uh, the French first goal mm-hmm. uh, resulted in what I would have thought, and in, on replay uh, was a foul on uh, Saka, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and that move started from that point onwards mm-hmm. to create the first goal, um, and also uh, another foul on Saka, which should have resulted in another penalty. But you know, I I think people are feeling you know the, it was the best chance or a very good chance yeah. here. But I mean, even still, they would have gone through to be playing Morocco. Uh, Morocco aren't there through just luck, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, they've, they're there for their own, uh, um, you know, perseverance. Uh, and okay, maybe strike-wise, yeah, 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 maybe going forward they don't mm-hmm. have that kind of, that many weapons, right? Yeah, yeah. But they were able to overcome much bigger opponents than themselves. I mean, so. in the in whole of like four or five matches, they all, all I think they all, the only goal uh, uh, they did uh, is uh, them their self goal, yes, yes. self goal. Yeah. No team, you know, uh, they yeah has been able to keep a clean to, sheet to, like that. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think uh, England actually did perform very, very well. Yeah. Uh, and as you know, we see not uh, the team that performs the best doesn't necessarily go through. Um, but uh, I would say, you know, I'm, I can't, vive la France, really, right? Yeah, because <laughs> they do seem to be, and and you know, it's looking like, I mean, if you were to say, uh, hedge your bets or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's like France against uh, Argentina now, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, would be a very attractive um, final for the World Cup. But who's to say? Who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah. Who would have thought Morocco would get that absolutely, far? Right? Yes, absolutely. Who would have thought Croatia would have be- beaten Brazil? <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. But uh, you know, le- you know, less on the World Cup. Uh, what are our topics today, Imran? So, uh, God willing, inshallah, we'll be discussing um, in the first hour carers. 
unsung superheroes and we will discuss about you know um how they can get help um and uh, what are the responsibilities and duty duties of the carers and obviously in the second hour we will be talking about the the conference uh, G20 conference um of the um faith uh, interfaith forum mm-hmm. uh, in the second hour and we will be having uh, live guests from Abu Dhabi Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So without further ado, I mean, unsung heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Or unsung superheroes. Um, I suppose, yeah, you know, it should be just heroes because all heroes are super in a sense, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, you know, every day 6,000 people become carers, but often it's not something that they've planned for. Um, it might be just out of circumstance that they've had to get you know into that situation of becoming a carer. Now, this year... Carers' Rights Day was held on the 24th of November to focus on supporting people uh, to prepare for the future through the theme or that theme regarding caring for your future. Now, Carers' Rights Day was held uh, to make carers aware of their rights, uh, let carers know where to get help and support, raise awareness of the needs of carers. Now, according to new research undertaken by the Centre for Care Colleagues released, uh, and this is released every year, 4.3 million people become unpaid carers. Oh. Uh, 12,000 people a day. Uh, and this is uh, from a report from uh, Petrillo and Bennett uh, in this year of uh, 2022. Now, with the current cost of living crisis, carers are facing unprecedented pressure on their finances. A quarter of carers... Uh, are cutting back on essentials like food, uh, and 63% are extremely worried mm-hmm. about managing their monthly costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is uh, from the Carers UK. Now, you know, in terms of carers, I mean, is there an, an Islamic view regarding that? Absolutely. So um, there's, a, there's a hadith of the Holy Prophet, <clears throat> narrated by uh, Anas bin Malik. Uh, he said that, I heard the Holy Prophet saying, if you, if a young man honors an elderly on account of his age, Allah appoints someone to honor him in his old age. So it's basically, um, you know, these hadiths encourage us to, you know, take care of uh, our elderly people and especially, uh, you know, uh, our parents. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes, un- unfortunately, um, um, you know, uh, people they don't care really care about their parents or anyone in their family who are. Uh, you know, um, are dependent on the others. Mm. So this hadith it really encourages that if you take care of your uh, your uh, you know elderly people, or your parents, or anyone who needs your help, Allah will appoint uh, uh, someone who um, basically who uh, who uh, t- will take care of you in the future. So uh, caring costs, you know, uh, in so many ways. If we talk about caring, what are what are the you know, uh, ups and downs of the carings. Mm-hmm. So carrying cost in so many ways, it could be the cost to unpaid uh, carers' well-being and ability to access health services. Sometimes it's the financial cost associated with looking after someone or the effect on carers' employment um, options. Taking care of someone may cost carer the quality quality of their, you know, uh, relationship, though not being able to... Um, take time out to spend with friends or your family members or through um, changes to the relationship with those they care for. And the current cost of living crisis being felt even more acutely by carers throughout the UK. So, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. caring comes with the cost, especially 
and the um well i mean you know looking back at the uh, stat that i quoted right at the beginning mm -hmm. that uh you know with the uh now according to the research uh 12,000 people a day right that's 4.3 wow. million people uh become unpaid carers so you know, you can understand him around that it is a case of say for instance you have an example that you know you're living or you're living away from your parents right mm -hmm. or an elderly relative and you, you know you you have your own your own work life maybe you're married you yourself have kids right uh and you know, your um relative whether it be your parent or an elderly relative is quite happily living on their own mm -hmm. doing their own thing right mm -hmm. but obviously with age comes illness uh and more uh, age relevant uh, illnesses for instance uh dementia uh for instance you know you have this onset of you know maybe uh neurological illnesses mm -hmm. which are chronic maybe parkinsons maybe you know whatever it may be and these things you know come like a you know a curveball and so suddenly you know you might be you know, in your little world you know with your family your work and whatever and then suddenly hold on my dad's got mm -hmm. parkinsons or he's got some kind of like chronic illness how am i going to take care of him you know straight away you have to right he can't look after himself say for instance if it's chronic dementia they can't be you know that sufferer cannot be left alone because yeah. just for the fact as uh, a fact that they might leave something on the stove right yeah and forget about it and sure. you know that's a risk to their lives uh, if not uh, other people right so one must think okay then you yourself as a carer your life is suddenly turned upside down mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and you know you have to deal with that and so hence you know you have this uh bit of a disconnect right that actually you would have thought right even you know so aren't you actually doing the job of say for instance part of the nhs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know instead of admitting your parent or your relative who has this ailment into the national health Ser service or some kind of um you know a uh, care home you're looking after them yourself so aren't you therefore taking the burden whether it be um definitely financially Absolutely. on yourself right so hence you have this 4.3 million people who are unpaid carers Absolutely. but uh, i i think we've got actually our first guest to talk more about this uh so we're joined by Emily Holes uh, sorry Holeshausen who uh, OBE who is director of policy and public affairs at Carers UK peace be upon you uh Emily thank you for joining us on the drive time show today thank you very much thank you for the welcome um so we're talking about you know uh, carers uh, our unsung heroes um i mean can you tell us i mean we uh have already seen, you know just just right at the top of the show you know quoted some stats there 4.3 million carers or 4.3 million uh people who have become carers are unpaid right So you know you 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 yeah you're a director of policy at uh Carers UK. I mean can you tell us some of uh, the work that you as an organization do? Sure, sure. And um I mean when we're talking about unpaid caring it's something that most of us will do 
in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it comes, you know, as part and parcel of family life. And uh, people see it as very important to do, to give back to people who might have given to you and to help people live as as long as possible, as, as well as possible within families. Mm -hmm. um, but it's but but people don't always recognise what they do, and it can take a real toll on your health and well-being. So as a charity, we were set up. Oh goodness, um, uh, just over fifty years ago, uh, and we really started because people uh, felt um, left behind and forgotten. Mm. And we started to do several things. The first thing was to campaign for an independent income because uh, many women had given up work in order to care and had, had nothing left as, as a result of it, um, generally unmarried women. And um, uh, we started to connect people as well uh, who felt very lonely and isolated. And the third thing we did was provide people with information and advice you know how how do i how do i navigate my way through all of this and support for my relatives but also how can i look after myself so i am the best i can be if you like and and uh, mm -hmm. look after my health and well-being and we're still the same kind of organization we've got 45,000 members there are local carers organizations that we keep up to date and we absolutely campaign for better awareness and changes that we really need to see to make everybody's paths much better in life as well. Hmm. I suppose, though, Emily, there has to be, say, for instance, if you were a new carer, um, like you said before, um, there has, I mean, it's incumbent upon us to look after our extended family. Uh, I know for myself, that, that is definitely the case, Not maybe not for every family, right? But, you know, where, so I suppose you as a carer, for um, elderly relatives, maybe your parents, um, you know, other relatives that who are dependent upon you and live in, say, for instance, the same household, you, I suppose, would have to make a value judgment as to, right, okay, is this part of my remit as just a normal household, a normal family, to look after my, my parents anyway? Or, you know, where does it cross the line to being actually... I need to have some kind of external help, uh, whether it be financial, whether it be more, um, you know, more in terms of, you know, mental health, because, you know, a lot of uh, carers do suffer from mental health issues, yeah, because, you know, they, they're lost in themselves, yeah, because their time is devoted to looking after, um, you know, whoever the dependent is. Absolutely. I think... Um I think where it feels like it's part and parcel of life, you might start advocating for the person that you're, you're, um, or just making sure they're okay. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, if something comes on gradually, then you just be checking on them and um, uh, trying to make life, you know, as, as full as possible for somebody and trying to support them through the health system or making sure they can still take part in the community if, if dementia is changing the way that they feel but there might come a point where you start thinking hang on a minute mm, it's too much starting to get well uh, much more complicated it can be very you know there's different different conditions can be very stressful mm -hmm. um and or, or distressing perhaps you know when somebody you love is in 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 a lot of pain or they they lose the ability to do what they used to do and um 
you know, your relationship mm-hmm. with them can change. I think what I would say is the first thing is that we know that caring can cause extra costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe sometimes different foods or taking you know, different more trips out to see the doctors or the hospital. Uh, there might be more costs, more household costs in terms of heating or laundry or something like that. And this is where even if you don't buy in extra care or get extra help, um, these are all already costs within the household. And so the first thing I would say is that, you know, you need to look to see whether your older relative might be entitled to something called attendance allowance or if they're under state pension age, then um, have a look to see if they're entitled to personal independence payment, which is a disability benefit. And that is designed to help with those extra costs. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really important that people think about that and look into that really early mm-hmm. because, um, A, it takes time to apply, and B, these costs can, can mount up over time. Um, and it's there to help people. So it's not that neither of them are means-tested, so whatever income you've got, it doesn't matter. Um, there are a number of qualifying criteria, so you have to have a look at what they are. But there's some also really good local sources of support and advice. Um, local HUKs are absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go online. So that's the first thing I would say. And then the second thing is, is, is really understanding someone's condition very well if they share that information with you or if they have a diagnosis. Um, and that can help to manage different um, aspects of their condition. Now, there might be other situations where this all happens overnight and it can be a big shock, a heart attack or a stroke or a car accident or something like that. And it's very, you know, that's you, you're thrown into a different mm-hmm. world very quickly. And that is where it's so important to get really good information and advice about the medication. Mm, and the help that's available. Yes, absolutely. If mm-hmm. someone offers, then think about it carefully and and and, and say yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but in a way that's right for you, you know, it's really mm. important because sometimes people worry and feel very guilty about taking on help that somehow you know you should be doing it all and should be managing it all. But then in fact, if it impacts on your health and well being, you 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 can't always do as much as you want to or mm-hmm. care for somebody and also you know you in turn might need support so it makes sense to to look after yourself mm. and to make sure that you can t- continue doing the other things like if you if you've got work as well to to continue juggling work um for as long as that is possible whilst you have the support in as well so it's it's um it's important to, once you have information, you can also make different decisions. You know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. in control of those decisions rather than um, uh, the world deciding around you, if you see what I mean. Mm. Mm-hmm. Emily, so we know that, you know, rising costs have impacted everyone, but why are, you know, carers facing high financial stress, and especially, you know, uh, those carers who, who are unpaid? Absolutely. So if we just talk about unpaid carers mm-hmm. for a moment, because um, that's who we really represent. Um, as I was talking before, we've got extra costs. So um, uh, extra costs of heating, mm-hmm. of laundry, of trips out um, to difficult medical professionals, special food sometimes because people can't eat certain things. Um, mm-hmm. Or some people might be quite particular about what they eat. 
and it's it's really tough. And if you're caring full time, you also don't have the ability to to necessarily work full time. Mm-hmm. So the ability to earn within the family is then reduced, which means that um, uh, you're much more vulnerable to different different costs. Mm-hmm. And that what we've seen, for example, is uh, carers on lower incomes, about four in ten are in debt. They're borrowing from family and friends. It's very stressful, and it's mm. impacting on their health and well-being as well. So, mm. unpaid carers is definitely seeing these rising costs. Then, if we talk about unpaid care workers, they're on a very low wage, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and that is a problem. That's a real problem when money gets tight. So. That's why we're, we've called, along with lots of other organisations, for extra payments from government to help with these rising costs. Mm-hmm. And quite a few families are covered when it comes to people who provide unpaid care. About 60% of, of, of families who get carers allowance are covered. But there's this other group who are not. So we're, we're campaigning to have, to have them, um, have them come, covered by government. But we know that some of the some of the increases, like we'll see an increase in carers allowance, that's not going to come through until uh, uh, next year. So mm-hmm. people have got to weather these higher prices at the moment, which is really tricky. And you know, with with cold snaps like we've got right now, you know, it's a real worry, isn't it, about having having mm-hmm. the heating on? Now some extra money has come down from government and. Um, there are also local schemes that if people are really, really struggling and there's an unpaid carer in the family, then go to your local authority and ask and ask for extra help um, because uh, you you might you might be eligible. Mm. I mean, uh, Emily, with that, I mean, you, you you specified there's that distinction between unpaid carers and actually care workers. I mean, mm. both are being impacted. Uh, with this cost of living crisis uh and things are you know just you know becoming tough for everybody and you know as we know it uh or as we know from the news you've got all different sectors public sectors striking currently uh asking for uh an equitable i wouldn't say uh what a lot of the uh, media outlets are saying you know these union barons asking for ridiculous sums but i actually personally think it's uh, equitable amounts as according to their own costs, right? So if, say, for instance, you know, the government's been so, let's say, miserish or yeah, regarding uh, giving these extra payments out, yeah, it must be the same for carers, uh, whether they be unpaid or care workers. I mean, what's your charity doing to, you know, step in and maybe kind of like uh, fill in that shortfall? Sure. I mean, one one thing we can't do is not grant living bodies, so mm-hmm. unfortunately we can't do that. But there are, you know, we definitely signpost to other organisations that do, um, and campaigning. Well, making sure that you know, campaigning for government to fill those gaps, but also making sure that people are claiming what they're entitled to. There's there's all sorts of different things within the system, like council tax discounts, which might apply to some people if they're living in smaller households or some of the benefits that I talked about earlier, you know, they can be a gateway to other help in other areas, for example, with energy bills. 
So it's really important that people claim everything they're entitled to in terms of benefits and support. So, for example, if you get a disability benefit, then you can get an extra payment to help with heating at the mm-hmm. moment. And those sorts of things really matter. When it comes to care workers, one of the challenges we have is that because of the low wages of care workers and you know, caring for somebody who is dis- disabled or old, is a, you know, it's a really honourable, valuable profession, um, but it's quite often paid at a low, low rate. And as a result, some people, there are a lot of vacancies at the moment, about 165,000 vacancies. Wow. Mm-hmm. People are leaving, obviously, to find jobs that pay more to support their family. But that then, in turn, it means that there's it's much more challenging to find that support that you need. Mm-hmm. So if you need a break to go out with the shops and you need somebody to, to help with your disabled son or something like that, it becomes much harder to find somebody um, to to help and provide to provide everyday care right. um and it's it's a problem you know it's it's looking after older generation is an issue that 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 every country around the world faces without mm-hmm. without exception yeah. um but it's something we need to see tackled very urgently right so emily you talked us about through the you know um care have to face high financial stress and along with that they have to you know um, they have to sometime uh, they feel very tired or they they depressed about something or they're struggling to manage their own physical and mental health can you tell us about um, carer leave bill what is what it yes. is about yes so the carer's leave bill is currently going through parliament and it it really so you talked about sort of the stress and that's particularly where people mm-hmm. are juggling work and care and the carers leave bill would give up to five days unpaid carers leave mm-hmm. for all employees in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So some people are saying, well, you know, it's unpaid. Um, wouldn't be, it be better if it was paid? Of course, of <laughs> course. But, you know, that goes without saying. But But we don't have any rights like that for unpaid carers at the moment in the workplace. So what it does as a start, is every employer would have to think about unpaid carers in their workforce, which is a real, really big improvement. And then if people do need to take that time off to take somebody to a health appointment or to arrange care, or there might be something really important that needs to happen in the family um, with regard to older or disabled relatives, you could you can offer that time off. And... Um, and at the moment what's being proposed that you have to give the same amount of notice as annual leave so um mm-hmm. it's it's not you know it's not you don't have to ask months in advance if you see what i mean mm-hmm. it so can we be quite see quick. it really yeah it can be quite quick mm-hmm. and quite flexible as well they're proposing sort of half a day or something like that so good for you as an individual because you don't necessarily want to take a whole day but also good for the employer to flex around it mm-hmm. so we think this is really important to see people in the fact that you know you have a, it's not just life life and the sort of support that you need throughout your working life it's not just about children it continues later into mm-hmm. your life as well caring for disabled and older relatives 
Now, at the moment, this is going through uh, Parliament, and it's what's called a private member's bill. So that means that a particular MP has had to take it because it's not government legislation. So it's Wendy Chamberlain, who's a Liberal Democrat MP for um, North East Fife in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And she is taking this as a private member's bill, and it's got government support. So we're hoping very much that this is going to get through all of its stages and become law. Um, mm. So that we yeah, can just raise awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And um, people mm. who've got it in the workplace, carers' leave, um, they tend to they tend to have slightly lower levels of um, in ill health as well. So we can see the real a really clear link between an understanding employer and an unpaid carer who's trying to look after family and trying to stay and work at the same time. Yeah, because it can only benefit the employer to have a healthy uh, employee who is also, you know, has the other cap of being an unpaid carer. Because, you know, if that unpaid carer stroke employee uh, is suffering physically or mentally, then ultimately, you know, it's, it's not, you know, uh, rocket science, but they could be taking days off work. So, you know, and then the employer is going to have to pay those days off work as sick leave. So, yeah, you know, sometimes uh, I, I, you know, these these are all almost um, I mean, you said it's a private member's bill uh, and Mm. it's not actually government uh, or it hadn't been initiated by the government. But, you know, you would have thought something like this uh, would be. Uh, a benefit, really, you know, very much a benefit uh, to, to to employers. I mean, I mean, I mean, why do you think that there are so many people nowadays actually becoming carers uh, on a you know day to day basis? I mean, twelve thousand people uh, currently, uh, by you know, uh, from statistics, uh, becoming unpaid carers. I mean, do you think it's a case of? Um, just you know the population aging uh you know life expectancy uh is 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 better or is longer i should say uh in terms of whether um you know health wise the medication the technology applied to medication or applied to health is better nowadays than it was maybe 10 15 years ago or 20 years ago uh or is it just a case of you know, some other uh, factors. Why is it? Well, um, I mean, you, you 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 introduced that absolutely brilliantly. It is due to all those factors of demographics. And mm-hmm. um, although life expectancy looks like it's stalled a little bit, mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of since the pandemic, really, um, it is because we are living longer, which is a really good thing. And because of all the technology, as you said, and medication and interventions, um, people are living living longer, but they have more years with disability or illness that might need support. So that is also a factor and potentially more intense support as well for a longer period. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, we have... Um, we have uh, a, a challenge around the the, the reduction in the mm-hmm. amount of care that is avail- uh, available, formal care, you know, where you get paid paid care in or day centres or something like that. There's been a reduction in that over time. So 
less money has gone in since 2010, which is a real worry. So we're at roughly the same funding levels as we were around 20, 2012. Mm-hmm. That's 10 years later. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this gap has risen, really, over time, where we just don't match the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is, a, that is a challenge. Every time we raise the state pension age, we make it harder for people because they're not they're not, if you see what I mean, retired, and then mm-hmm. and they're not getting their, their basically their no, state pension no. really, yeah, and no. being self sufficient well, in that sense. Well, yes, I mean they, every time we raise a state pension, that's another year that somebody mm-hmm. has to keep juggling work and care. Mm-hmm. So it becomes, you know, people stop making different decisions, and it's it's very hard to think, oh, I'm going to give up work to care, and then the financial impact that has on you and you, you and your family is, can be really very significant. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we have all of these challenges um, and a smaller number of children um, being born to families also means that, they, that, that people end up caring for more mm-hmm. people within the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, families living sometimes some distance away from each other, that changes the dynamic then of caring at a distance. Uh, as as well, so um, all these factors mean that we have more care being provided in the community by families unpaid. Yeah, so Emily, finally and briefly, uh, could you just talk um, through us um, what would be your um, dream list list of support for carers in twenty twenty three? Oh, my dream list, my dream list would be to have a, a, a fabulous review of carers' benefits where we would raise the level of carers' allowance to really reflect what carers do. That mm. would be, that would be, if you're talking my dreams. Yeah. Well, there can <laughs> be anything then, Emily. What is reality really, yeah. is not below that yeah. about where, you know, the next step that we'd like to get government onto. Um, we'd like... Uh, you know, my dream list would be um, uh, government uh, getting getting the carers' leave bill through. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a, a realistic prospect. It would be much better funding for social care um, and better wages for care workers, so they stay within the profession and that they are valued. You know, if we value the care that unpaid carers provide to families, we should be doing the same for anybody who's paid to do that job. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think um, we would like to see the visibility and the identification of carers improved massively so that families don't have to keep repeating information so they are identified, they get the right support at the right time. Mm-hmm. That's the dream list. Yeah, very good dream list. Well, Emily, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much Thank indeed. You. Thank you for having Thank me. You. It's Thank been you. a pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And, you know, as being uh, Muslims uh, or you know the Voice of Islam, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an Islamic channel, it would be you know uh, remiss of us to, to to point out you know the uh, through the lens or the prism of Islam how we view carers. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just to quote, you know, Thy Lord has commanded worship none but Him and show kindness to parents. 
If one of them or both of them attain old age uh, with thee, never say unto them any word expressive of disgust nor reproach them, but address them with excellent speech. Now this is chapter 17 verse 24 of the Holy Quran. I mean even the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him said part of glorifying Allah is honoring the gray-haired Muslim. Uh, he also uh, went on to say uh, you know he is not of us who does not have mercy on younger children nor honor the elderly. So there's always these uh, footnotes um, from uh, the actions uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings mm. be upon him. And not just that, but also in the Holy Quran, whereby we are encouraged, uh, definitely, not just to, you know, just to look after uh, and treat our, our elderly, uh, whether they be our parents or elders in general, with respect. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, the nuts and bolts of uh, the crisis currently, I mean, we are, whether you're a carer or not, we're all suffering uh, from the soaring energy uh, bills. But, you know, can you imagine how it's affecting a, dis a disabled family? I mean, what are some of the issues? Yeah, so, so many of us, you know, are, are turning off our TVs rather than, you know, leaving them on standby or putting an extra jump rather than, you know, heating our homes. So uh, one of the, you know, example uh, I will give you that Rob Emily, you know, has a much higher concern when it comes to their electricity and gas usage. And at night, he needs to keep CCTV cameras and um, motion sensor buzzing away in the background in case one of his son has a, you know, mm. epileptic um, seizure in his sleep. Training them, turning them off simply isn't option. So, you know, uh, it is very difficult uh, the people, especially, you know, the children who are, who are disabled for their parents to cope um, uh, their, you know, daily basis need and to, you know, meet their daily, uh, daily basis need. And um, over the last few months, the, the family's utility, uh, Rob says, uh, over the last few months, the family's utility and fuel bills have gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. And then Rob tells uh, to metro.co.uk that they are still paying double what it was. Mm -hmm. As a father of three disabled boys, Rob can't make energy savings uh, the way others do. And he uh, relies on uh, relies on a specified, you know, electronic equipment, including uh, feed pumps and ele electronic uh, beds mm -hmm. to sustain his son. So those who are, you know, really um, the people who are, um, especially the disabled child and their parents are really struggling in these mm -hmm. days. And now, although the government's announced a one-off £150 cost of living payment to uh, people on disability uh, disability benefits in the autumn budget. Uh, not everyone will be eligible, mm -hmm. and for many, it won't even make a dent in their rocketing uh, bills. I mean, Rob says, you know, we just have to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, the carer's allowance at £69.70 wouldn't even put food on the table for a week. Uh, he is self-employed, and the boy's conditions uh, affect how, business, how his business is run. Mm -hmm. And as uh, he has to drop everything, you know, he's doing uh, at a moment's notice and be at the hospital. Uh, his sons have an important appointment every other week, and the family of six rely on a costly van to get them around. 
Yeah, I don't drive unless I really have to.、Mm-hmm. It's too expensive. I'm probably paying forty pounds more a tank than I was eighteen months ago.、Mm-hmm. Electric、uh, electricity bills are crazy.、Uh, Rob is paying double what he has this time last year. So you can see, you know,、mm-hmm. not just if we're feeling the pinch,、yeah. and you know, we come from a normal. Uh, household, and I shouldn't say normal, but just a, you know, an average, average I should say,、yeah. average household.、Yeah. You know, you can imagine the、uh, stress and financial difficulties that、uh, someone like Rob is with three disabled children.、Absolutely. But to speak more about、uh, our carers and our unsung heroes,、uh, we're joined by Dr. Liz Bolton. Now, Dr. Liz Bolton is Health and Care Policy Manager at Age UK. Peace and blessings be upon you,、uh, Liz. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about what AGK does. Excellent. Well, you've you've kicked off the the the, the ball there straight away. So, can you tell us,、uh, myself and、uh, our listeners out there, about, a little bit about AGK and the services that actually you offer? Because I suppose, like with a lot of listeners、uh, and a lot of people out there, you know, you know we uns- we hear of these organisations like yourself, Age Concern, Age UK, but not actually aware of the services and facilities that are,、um, you know, are available. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite a, a big charity.、Um, so really, we're a federation of local, national, and international charities that all work for and, and with older people. And we've currently got 135 network partners across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and they all deliver a range of different services and activities for older people. So, you listeners might be familiar with an Age UK in their area, such、mm-hmm. as Age UK Oldham or Age UK Barnet.、Um, but the one thing that all of those local Age UKs have in common is delivering information and advice,、um, which the charity also does at a national level.、Mm-hmm. But locally, they're very different. They might. Offer things like day services, home from hospital services, shopping and cleaning, befriending, dementia support. They're they're all quite different.、Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the local charities. But nationally, as a charity, we're involved in research, campaigning,、uh, public policy, and fundraising. And I'm sure most people will have seen some of our fundraising campaign campaigns on social media, television, and, and in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we have a lot of information on our website to support older people, including、uh, some advice for carers, which I, I know you want me to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Doctor,、um, can you tell us、uh, what work do you、um, you do internationally, and what support do you offer to older people globally? Okay, so if I just talk about、um, the UK first,、um, mm-hmm. that that information and advice that we've got on our website provides. Uh, support for carers, but also some of the local charities, the local age UKs, deliver things like support groups、uh, for carers, where they can meet people in a similar situation and support each other, or get information and advice from trained staff and volunteers.、Um, and we also, some of the charities run specific support groups for people caring for a loved one with dementia.、Mm-hmm. Um, they also can offer respite services through providing in-home sitters or. Activities away from the home to give carers、uh, a much-needed break,、um, and carers can also call our advice line to speak to someone about support available to them. So internationally, our、um, our partner is called Age International,、mm-hmm. and they do a great deal of outstanding work in developing countries, often but not always related to international disasters and crises. 
Mm -hmm. So, for example, they're funding and delivering support to older people in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, following the floods, Mm -hmm. um, in East Africa, as well as in Ukraine. And many of the people who've been unable to flee to safety in those areas are older Mm -hmm. and less mobile. So inevitably, this means they need support with accessing essentials such as food and medication. Um, So as an example, with support from the uh, DUC Afghanistan Crisis Appeal, we've been able to reach over 4,400 families uh, with support for older people and people with disabilities in Afghanistan. Um, But they can also provide practical support to older people and their carers, including cash payments directly to those most in need, helping them to pay for rent and buy food and essential medicines and fuel to heat their homes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a summary of, of, of what we're doing for older people globally too. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a, a UK-centric charity. It's you, know, you do have a global outreach there. Absolutely, yeah. We're mm. international, yeah. Mm. So you know, the thing is, Liz, you know, caring you know, is a tough job anyway. And I suppose you know, some of, uh, if not a, a large proportion of unpaid carers uh, happen to become a pet, uh, a carer, say for instance, the example of um, maybe a parent who is you know diagnosed as having dementia. You know we don't, or you know the carers who have or any uh, chronic illness uh, besetting a you know an elderly person. To start off with, we don't have that experience. You know they're not clinically trained uh, to yeah. to take on you know, whatever illness and to understand what kind of treatment uh, their, you know, their, their relative needs. So, you know, obviously this, this must put a huge amount of stress on that carer. I mean, what help do you offer to, you know, all your care or a carer uh, who actually is a full-time carer? Yeah, well, you're right. It, it, it can be extremely tough. Um, I mean, it's like, we... you know, dropping off in the deep end, really. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, and we frequently... Respects. Yeah, we frequently hear from carers who are struggling mentally and physically with caring for someone, often if, if the person has physical health needs. Um, so, and for many carers, it's a genuine 24-7 role because they're caring for someone throughout the day and the night. And some carers told us that they were unable to cope with the physical and mental strain they were under during the pandemic because support services were effectively switched off for them when everybody had to isolate at home. Um, and I, I really understand that you know many people will still be feeling cut off from support if they can't leave the person that they care for alone. Um, so, like I said, the the information that we've got on our website um, is can be really valuable for, for carers who find themselves in that situation for the mm-hmm. first time. We do have an advice line where you can support you can talk to somebody who is skilled and knowledgeable about what support you can access. Um, And on top of those services that I've already mentioned, we also provide support over the telephone. So we have a telephone friendship service that can be a lifeline for many older people and older carers included, Mm -hmm. where they can be matched with a volunteer to chat regularly on the phone. And if that's somebody in a similar situation, that can be really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And we also have the Silverline helpline, which is the only free 24-hour helpline in the UK for older people over 55, um, feeling isolated and lonely. And they mm-hmm. provide information, advice, and friendship um, 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I think we're, we're well-placed to, to signpost people to support as well as to provide that, that support um, ourselves. And I should say that we're always on the lookout for volunteers for our telephone friendship service and the Silver Line. So 
perhaps if any of your listeners are considering volunteering, um, mm-hmm. they, they might might look at helping Age UK to to pro- you know, provide an older person or a carer with someone to chat to. Mm. So, Doctor, caring for someone, you know, can lead to many worries, especially if your caring role means that you have to give your job, give up your job. And what financial support is available for carers and where can they get help from? I think it's always difficult when a carer has to give up work. And I think the financial implications often come as quite a shock to people. Um, But if a carer is providing at least 35 hours a week care to someone um, who's receiving some benefits themselves, such as attendance allowance or disability living allowance, they can apply for carer's allowance. Mm -hmm. And I think you were talking about this before I came on air. Mm -hmm. Currently, this only pays £69.70 a week. week, Um, But there are restrictions and not everyone will be eligible anyway. So if you earn more than £132 a week, you'll not be eligible. If your pension is over £69.70 a week, you won't be eligible. And frankly, Mm. it's not great. Um, And Age UK isn't alone in calling for a more realistic payment to carers for the work that they do so that they can actually live um, on on the payments uh, that, that they receive. But it's also worth saying at this point, it's really important to make sure the person being cared for is receiving all the benefits they're entitled to. So attendance allowance can pay up to £92.40 a week to help with personal support. Mm -hmm. And also pension credit can open doors to eligibility for other payments. And Age UK is strongly urging everyone to check if they're eligible for pension credit before the 18th of December this year, as eligible people would then receive that second cost of living payment of £324. So I think, um, I mean, I'm not an expert, um, but we, I, there are people in AGK who are. So we have Money Matters web pages on AGK's website, but also I'd encourage people to look on the gov.uk website and search support for carers to, just to make sure that even if it's you know, perhaps not enough to live on or you know, not not as much as people would want, there is money available, there are benefits available to mm. apply for. Yeah, I think the message uh, that you're trying to get out there, or you're you're putting out there, is that although the you know the benefits may not seem to be as much uh, in terms of, say, for instance, the carer's allowance, uh, uh, sixty-nine seventy, but you know whatever you can get uh, is better than nothing. And it's just, yeah. I think it's just that uh, that minefield of knowing: a, are you eligible? And b, how do you apply for it? And you know, it's it's just um, yeah. It just seems to me that uh, it's unfortunate that it's such a uh, like I say a minefield. It uh, is, it's so yeah. hard to get hold help. of your, your your you know what you should be due. Yeah, yeah, but that's where Age UK can help. You mm-hmm. know, if, if people call our advice line, they'll be um, given the, the support and information they need um, mm. to be able to access what they're entitled to. Mm, excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon, uh, Liz. Thank you very much for joining us on the uh, Drive Time Show this afternoon. You're very welcome. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And just as a you know message and to reiterate from our both our guests is that you know it is a minefield. It's so difficult. A knowing, are you entitled? to certain benefits Mm -hmm. Uh, and even if you are entitled to them how do you get hold of them you know it's just so so many I suppose you know 
uh, hoops that you have to jump through, right? Mm-hmm. I don't understand why the government doesn't make it a lot easier. I mean, they're already sense. struggling, you know, they're already um, caring for someone and they, they, they're, they're, the attention, uh, you know, they need to, the attention spam or the attention, you know, uh, they're giving to their um, um, parents or who they are, whoever they are caring for is already taking much of their energy and and, up and then on, the, on top yeah, yeah exactly that's a very yeah. very valid point Imran yeah. you know you, you know it's it's a bit like mm-hmm. you know uh, employ yeah I'm, I'm I'm using this as an a- analogy mm-hmm. that when you work for a company which absolutely exhausts you right, right? right. as an employer mm-hmm. you know they really work you to the to the bone. Mm-hmm. You're so tired, and, and then in the back of your mind, you think, you know what, I can find a better job than this. Mm-hmm. But because you're so tired, you don't have <laughs> the you know, the effort or the, mm-hmm. the inclination to try and find another job, right? Absolutely. Because it, it requires time. It requires looking through mm-hmm. you know, job adverts, what's right for you, whatever. And you just, you're just too tired, right? And Physically sometime, and mentally. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes you cannot you know, um, come out of uh, the zone you know you, that some people you know they do job but when they come home they're still thinking about the job similar mm. with the, you know carers they, yeah, they but cannot, there's no relief is there yeah, because you, you know, you're caring at home yeah right as it as it happens mm-hmm. um so you know when we look you know to in terms of right mm-hmm. uh, imran in terms of say for instance you know are there any words from you know our our, our previous uh khalifas regarding um you know regarding help for the elderly Yes, absolutely. So, um, His Holiness, uh, the Hazrat Mirza um, Tahir Ahmed, the fourth Caliph and the Muslim community, uh, he said that the responsibility for care of the age is gradually shifting to the state. Care of the age represent a heavy burden on the national economy. However, much a state is ready to spend, it can never buy them peace and contentment. The most one, uh, the most terrible f- feeling of having been rejected, left out, and abandoned, and the most painful realization of a growing void of loneliness within our problems beyond the reach of many to resolve. To consider that a, a comparatively remote uh, relation r- relative would, um, you know, um, ever be taken care of by the rest of the family has become almost impossible to imagine. So, in such societies, the need um, for homes. Um, for the age grows with the passage of time, yet it is not always possible for a for a stage to apportion enough money to provide for them uh, for them even the minimum requirements of a uh, decent life. So um, uh, physical elements are much easier to cure or elevate, but the deep psychological traumas from which a considerable number of elderly members of of modern societies are suffering are far more difficult to treat. So in uh, providem- uh, predominantly Muslim countries, however, uh, much values have, uh, m- much have, much values may have deteriorated. The condition which prevails in the rest of the contemporary society is unthinkable. So, I mean, he basically said that, you know, um, um, that as as a mod, as as we become a modern society we are we are much less focusing on our you know parents who really uh, need our uh, focus or attention but uh, obviously we we need as you uh, beautifully uh, quoted the verse of the holy quran but you, when your parents grow uh, older then uh, do not speak with them harshly or do not mm-hmm. you know um, uh, say anything which um, which may hurt them 
Yeah, because that that brings to mind. I was just uh, watching on TV because obviously it's it's coming up to Christmas、mm-hmm. in the UK or globally, I should say.、Yeah. And so I saw a, a, an advert for、uh, the Salvation Army, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it had a, a an elderly character,、um, an elderly gentleman, and、mm-hmm. he actually said to himself,、uh, "You know, did I give any time when I was younger a thought to the elderly?" And you know that's what we have to think about. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in conclusion, it's just you know we all will get old one、mm-hmm. day,、um, you know, God willing, that is right.、Yeah. Uh, so you know we have to treat our elderly、uh, as treasures, really. Absolutely.、Uh, and I think、uh, in Asian culture, it was always the case that we you know, we think of、uh, our our great grandparents or our grandparents or our parents、mm-hmm. yeah, as being the tree. Mm-hmm. Right, like a tree of knowledge, and、uh, with that, they can also provide knowledge and experience to to the youngsters. So that's how you know、uh, in an Asian culture the extended family is. But、uh, that brings us to the end of the first hour. Please join us、uh, in the second hour. We'll be talking about the interfaith forum. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Imam Imran Akram. So we、uh, spoke about the unsung heroes, and、uh, in our first hour, and we. Gonna hopefully talk to some unsung heroes as our guests <laughs> in the second hour.、Uh, we're going to be talking about、uh, the interfaith. Uh, or actually, we're, we're actually connecting with some of our presenters、mm-hmm. uh, from Voice of Islam live from the G20 Interfaith Forum, which is、uh, taking place in Abu Dhabi today、uh, and tomorrow. Now, the forum is centered around the theme of engaging faith communities,、uh, G20 agendas, and beyond, and is under the patronage of His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayyan. Uh, President, I hope I've said that correctly.、Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> That's、there. fine. That's yeah,、uh, President of the、uh, United Arab Emirates. Now it's、uh, jointly hosted by the G20 Interfaith Forum Association and the Interfaith Alliance for Safer Communities,、uh, and it's gathered over a hundred leaders from diverse faith communities. The forum launches the 2023 G20 Interfaith. Agenda and serves as a bridge between the G20 2022 and 2023、mm-hmm. presidencies, as it is passed over from Indonesia to India.、Uh, day one has closed for today, and we want to focus on some of the topics discussed、uh, for today and、uh, to see what our team picked up from the event, including you know any interviews that they took during the day. Now, one of the topics、uh, regarding Uh, which was、uh, actually part of the forum today was refugees. Now this year, the, you know, the world hit a new unfortunate milestone where the number of displaced people has reached 100 million. Wow! And that's、uh, just amazing,、yeah. right? Because you know, given that the UK is 70 odd million, right?、Mm-hmm. I don't know what's the population of Pakistan, 80 odd million.、Uh, I don't know why that pops into my mind. Uh, 200, 250 million. So totally、yeah. wrong. I, I, <laughs> I hold my hands up. So, to, so basically, just under half the population of Pakistan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's more than the population of the UK,、right. are displaced, right? That's ridiculous. Now, in addition to the war in the Ukraine, the number of forcibly 
displaced people worldwide is also being propelled by conflict and crisis in countries including uh, Burkina Faso, uh, Myanmar, Yemen, uh, Venezuela, Ethiopia, Afghanistan, uh, <coughs> and sorry, excuse me, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. So, you know, what is 100 million people? Now, already, I think myself and Imran <laughs> giving you an idea, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, we believe it uh, or not, it's a 1% of the global population uh, and is nearly equal to the populations of the United Kingdom and com Canada combined. There you um, go. There you go, <laughs> right? Now, uh, who wants uh, to up and leave? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, who actually wants to up and leave? So, um, you know, especially when the countries um, they have access to, you know, are, are the ones who themselves are struggling. So countries that cannot, uh, that account for just 1.3% of the global GDP are hosting 40% of all refugees. That's mm -hmm. a huge number. Wow. And according to, you know, uh, research uh, rescue. 400 million. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 40 million, yeah. I should say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so according to um, rescue.org, prior to the war in Ukraine, just three countries, Turkey, Colombia and Pakistan, hosted near a quarter of the world's refugees and conflict and um, uh, crisis in neighboring uh, you know nations including Syria Venezuela and Afghanistan have forced millions to cross into these countries to seek safety so w we need to you know um, look at these countries which I've just mentioned especially you know Pakistan um, Colombia and, and Turkey did not very well you know in their economy mm -hmm. but still they are you know bearing 40 percent of uh, refugees, refugees um, from all, you know, uh, from globally. Mm, and, and I think, you know, the thing mm -hmm. here, Imran, yeah, is that we have this, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, and it's propagated by the media here mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. West, uh, definitely here in the UK, that refugees are a negative impact, yeah. right, yeah. upon the economy, upon the country as a whole. Um, and uh, I think I was like seeing... Uh, some stats this morning on uh, Sky News, mm -hmm. in fact, yeah, and I'll quote Sky News because uh, on the ticker that was going across, they said that this year, actually from border control, mm -hmm. 100, 100 immigrants had been arrested. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about 100 million, right? Yeah, yeah. So 1% of the global population uh, are displaced due to conflict. We have actually... You know, this idea that the immigrants are flooding through, right, on these uh, little canoes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. dinghies across the uh, channel yeah. and totally besieging the UK. Let me tell you this. It's a hundred, right, immigrants had been arrested on the shores of the Kent coast this year. So, you know, th there's there's this disconnect, right, mm -hmm. with the idea that uh, is propagated and the other P I'm thinking of is almost like propaganda that uh, we are being inundated by immigrants, inundated by refugees in this country. And in fact, we're not. Absolutely. That's I mean, the truth of it, right? You made a very valid point. And, you know, uh, UK especially... Um, he is spending a lot and giving uh, you know France millions and millions of pounds to protect the border, but still you know they are coming. So um, you made a very valid point there. And uh, just to um, just to give the Islamic perspective, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He stated that there is 
There is no leader who closes the door to someone in need, one suffering in poverty, except that Allah closes the gate of the heavens for him when he is suffering in poverty. So this is the hadith from Tirmazi. So um, Islam obviously encourages a bond of brotherhood with human uh, humans across the world who are refugees. So in the Holy Quran, uh, Allah the Almighty says, and for those who had established their and 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 for those who had established their home in this city and had accepted the faith before them, they loved those who came to them for ref for refuge, and find out not in their breasts any desire for what in for what which is given them the refugees, but give preference to the refugees above themselves, even though poverty be their own lot. Whoso is rid of covetousness of his own soul, it is these who will be successful. So, you know, Islam really encourages and uh, uh, really um, says that, you know, this verse is basically the background of this verse is that, you know, the, when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he was persecuted mm -hmm. uh, 13 years in Mecca. So he had to migrate to Medina. And Allah the Almighty is praising um, the people of Medina that they welcome their brothers with the open arms. And although they were themselves suffering from the, you know, from poverty, but they still, you know, um, um, accept their brothers with the wholeheartedly. And they, uh, whatever they have, they spend them, uh, they spend uh, uh, on them. And they provided their house to them so they can, you know, um, have a have a shelter and they provide them food and everything. So, uh, you know, in order to have a brotherhood or in peace in society, you have, you know, uh, you have you have to have uh, open arm with your neighbors, with your people that coming in your country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, to speak more about this, uh, we we are joined by one of our uh, colleagues, I should say, Imam Raza Ahmed, who is uh, live from the Interfaith Forum, the IF20. Uh, in Abu Dhabi. Asalaamu As Alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you. Asalaamu Alaikum, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, no, we are fine and uh, most probably a lot colder than you are, <laughs> <laughs> given given just, our just respective just destinations. Few, yeah, just a few degrees colder. Yeah, what do you mean a few degrees? Most probably 20. Because uh, <laughs> I'm looking out and it's not the white sands of uh, Dubai that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the white <laughs> snow of... Uh, uh, South Morden, really, <laughs> but anyway, home people. Yes, exactly, home <laughs> home. So, you know, you've you've had the the pleasure, actually, uh, the privilege to be a part of the uh, interfaith forum today uh, and for tomorrow, and we, we've just uh, yeah you know, just previewed the idea of or the the issue of refugees. Now, how important was? Uh, the issue of displacement and refugees in today's conference, Reza. Uh, thank you very much for, for having us. We were here representing Voice of Islam as one of the media mm -hmm. outlets covering the IF20 uh, this year, which is, uh, if you allow me just to you know give you that short introduction. Of course. In September, the G20 uh, summit is going to happen in India, <clears throat> and the idea behind this interfaith um, forum, G20 Interfaith Forum, is that having all of these conflicts around the world, you look at different solutions, and usually it's policymakers, usually it's uh, people from the financial or economic sector, 
um, thinking about solutions that will affect the, the world for the next couple of years and ultimately making those decisions. But the idea behind this was, as I explained this morning in the opening session, was that faith communities and, and, and religions or faith-based organizations they play a huge vital role in actually understanding the grassroots problems. Because those are the, the people, the, these NGOs, these charities that deal with the issues on the ground. So when it comes to refugees, for example, is also uh, one of those issues that these faith-based communities have to deal with. And it is one of the major issues that is affecting the world today. As we know that the conflicts are spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. It's not just one or two hotspots around the world. Uh, the Ukraine war is just the latest, uh, well, sad addition, basically, mm -hmm. to that long list. And, you know, various issues in, in Africa, various issues in, in the Middle East, in, in Asia, uh, and now even in, uh, in Europe. South America, you have the same issue. So it was on the agenda, and uh, it was one of the breakout sessions uh, that uh, was was organized and where this issue was spoken about. So you had representatives of different faiths, you had representatives of different NGOs and charities who, as I said, work on the ground. They have that first-hand experience of what impact this is having um, on, on, on the different issues that the world is facing. So, so to bring you back here, that's that's set the the scene for for this, right, Raza? And you've you know quite eloquently and beautifully, as usual, set the scene for us. So, you know, as regards, let me pull you back to that first question. Then, you know, how important is the issue of displacement and refugees, uh, you know, at at the conference? Is it of paramount importance then? Because we quoted the figure that it's one percent of the global population is currently displaced through conflict. Yeah. So the numbers, for example, um, was a representative of the UNHCR, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. And she mentioned that if you look at the numbers, it's 100 plus million people that are displaced right now as we speak. And 71% of those are women and children. So it is one of the main issues that was being discussed. And tomorrow, I think, they're going to present that to, to, to the main house and the things that were discussed. But it was a good two hours that um, we had a very healthy discussion. And again, you had people from uh, NGOs who went not just to the border of Ukraine, but they went into Ukraine. They went into Afghanistan. They've been on the ground. And looking at the things that they were talking about, it has to be dealt with as soon as possible. It is not going to get any better, unfortunately, mm -hmm. with all the world that is going through. So it, it is something that needs to be brought to the attention of the G20 summit. And this mm -hmm. is where we know that political leaders, and we're not just talking about you know, the average Joe, we're talking about prime ministers, presidents, country leaders of countries mm -hmm. of influential countries that are going to come together and, and these ideas and these suggestions will be presented to them so they can make better informed decisions and keep this in consideration now this is one of the issues that we need to tackle this is some of the things that affect as i said not just one country anymore if you look at for example 
decision. This was also mentioned in, in, in the breakout session <clears throat> when you had the influx of refugees from different parts of the world coming to Europe. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you deal with that? How do you manage that? And again, but isn't isn't that the, thing? Uh, sorry to interject, Raza. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, when we were talking just before coming uh, to you live in Abu Dhabi uh, regarding, and I use the P, right, whether it be propaganda or the media, say, for instance, in the UK, is propagating this idea that immigrants, refugees are, you know, are uh, to be viewed in a negative way. And actually, the figures that have been um, released, in fact, by the government today, uh, this morning, regarding actually Immigrants who have been arrested uh, trying to illegally uh, come into the country, so via these uh, dinghies uh, uh, across the channel, have only totaled 100. So this idea that we in the UK are being overrun by wave upon wave of refugees um, is more of a political, uh, propagated media uh enabled ideology yeah. is it not because you know the true the true the true cost and i think imran was like saying the actual true cost of those who are displaced and are actually you know looking for sanctuary uh an asylum actually are falling on the the shoulders of turkey pakistan and i think you said colombia right yeah. so you know these countries are the ones who are actually truly bearing the economic cost yeah, you're absolutely right. But then again, you have uh, the, the leaders of the G20 mm-hmm. who are making those decisions. And that's that thing, again, just to repeat my point, what I said earlier, that's the reason why it has to be brought to their attention. Mm-hmm. And as long as you don't get it from the source, as long as you don't hear it from people who who have been on site, who know the issue, who know that it's 71% women and children. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not just one part of the world. As long as that does not get to the top of, you know, the the, the, the food chain, the food chain, yeah, no, exactly, um, it won't make a difference. Mm. And it was, as I said, it, it's such an important issue that it was on the list. It was on the first day of the conference, mm. so, so it had to be dealt with. It had to be discussed in detail. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Raza, um what was some of the work that was highlighted in today's conference um, on how organizations have, you know? positively impacted the life of displaced people and individuals and families? So one um, um, representative or one um, of the attendees that I've spoken to, he was from the United States, uh, I believe from Chicago. Mm -hmm. And he said that, um, again, he traveled to the Ukraine. So this is just very recently. He also went to Afghanistan and working from from the United States or working from, from outside the country. He worked with some of the big companies. So some, some of the names that he mentioned was, for example, Airbnb, that they required uh, or acquired 10,000 places to stay for these Ukrainian refugees. Wow. But <laughs> the interesting fact that I was told here again is you know, we mentioned this about the double standards sometimes that mm-hmm. we see when it comes to the different types of refugees. 
So again, this is not a secret. We we know how even MPs in the UK Parliament have discussed and have raised this issue mm-hmm. that when it came to the Syrian refugees, how the difference in response, how that was displayed and how obvious it was even to the general public who don't have too much or deep knowledge of what is happening in the world. So why do we have this injustice in the world? Mm-hmm. Why do we have this different kind of treatment with with the, when it comes to people from one side of the world or people from the other side of the world? Look, I'm not downplaying any situation whatsoever. We've said this over and over again here on the Drive Time Show and on Voice of Islam. Refugees are refugees. It doesn't matter which country they yeah, come from. Exactly. And that's, that's one thing that you have to keep in mind. So that person said to me that when he tried to do the same thing with refugees from Afghanistan, and they only acquired or wanted to acquire a thousand places, not ten thousand, one thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was outrightly refused. Wow! And that company that he was he, he approached, they said, "Well, there's nothing we can do about it." So these kind of things that need to be addressed, this injustice. And again, we said this. His Holiness has said this many, many times as well. That as long as you don't treat everyone with the same respect, with the same value that everyone deserves, which is the Islamic teaching, it doesn't matter which color you have, it doesn't matter which which ethnicity you're from, in the sight of God Almighty, you, you're all the same. The only thing that differentiates you from the others is you know, your righteousness, your, mm-hmm. your, your goodness, and your values. So some of the things that they've mentioned was that the faith communities, the, the role that they have played, irrespective of where they come from. So, of course, you start off with the people that are part of your community, but then at the end of the day, what you need to do is you need to expand that scope. What combine, what, what unites us is not our religion. Yes, We know that everybody has a different faith, everybody has a, has a different set of beliefs, but what unites us, well, we are united in humanity. So humanity first, mm-hmm. that is something that needs to be kept in mind. And some of these um, charities that have been there that were represented have done some phenomenal work. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I can think of one of the charities that we know way too well, Humanity First, mm-hmm. who have been at the forefront. I mean, we've spoken to them. I've, I've spoken to them personally as well, who, irrespective of where you come from, what mm-hmm. you've been through, which religion you belong to, it's humanity first. Not mm. Christians, not Muslims, not Hindus, not Jews, humanity. Mm. As it should be, really. Uh, we're all basically brothers uh, in arms, really, or mm. under arms, let's put it that way. So how do you think, uh, Reza, the treatment of refugees actually impacts global peace and stability? Oh, it, it, it's it's very detrimental. Mm. Look, um, I mean, is it so, such that, you know, uh, a factor such that it can be, I suppose, turned, you know, put on the uh, you know, back burner by, you know, the G20 uh, leaders, you know, something that is irrelevant? Actually, there's, there's bigger fish to fry. There's, there's a bigger fish to fry because, as I said, at the G20 summit, you have the, the economic and the financial uh, factors that, that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have when you have certain countries that have to uh, provide for refugees, that have to deal with this very pertinent issue of displacement of refugees, then that has an impact on on the financial sector, on the economy exactly. as well. 
Yeah. So that ultimately we know it's a spiral. It goes down and and it, it's a it's circle. A, yeah, it's, it's like a domino effect, isn't it? Knock it's on. A domino effect. Yeah, exactly. A knock on effect, which ultimately has a huge impact on the peace of the society, regardless of which society you're in. Um, we we know we have the example of Germany in front of us, how that went down. We have the example of here at home as well, mm-hmm. in the UK when the Syrian refugees were 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 accepted. How how we had a split society all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So that peace was disturbed. And again, when you have displacement of people, if you go to those refugee camps, again they vary from country to country. There's no way that you can explain to anyone in any situation, in any way, form, or shape, that this is in some way, form, or shape contributing to a peaceful society. It's mm. not. Mm. Those people are scarred for life if they have to. Uh, 71% again, ch- women and children. What kind of, what kind of impact does that have mm-hmm. on that child's development, mm. that mother's mental health? We have absolutely no idea. This is something that you cannot imagine. Mm, mm. I mean, if you think about that you are moving from one country to another, not forcefully, you just you decide yourself that I'm going to move from one country to another. How difficult is that? Mm. You have to pack everything. You have to, so it's a very stressful time. Mm. But when you're forced out of your homes, when you don't have a chance because the bombs are dropping, because people are coming, that is... That that's something on a whole different level. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that needs to be stopped, that needs to be tackled, that needs to be addressed yeah. by by the elite. Yeah, by by um, yes, your choice of uh, adjective elite. I'm not quite sure, but leaders, I would say, right, leaders of these countries. Political. Yeah, political leaders. Well, you know, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, Imam Raza Ahmed. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. I'm sure we'll be joining the, your other colleagues that are there in sunny Abu Dhabi uh, to speak later on. So, uh, 0208-687-7878 or Voice of Islam UK. Tweet us there. Now, you know, we would, one of the other topics uh, that was on uh, the agenda at the IF20 was also food crisis. Now, after steadily declining for a decade, world hunger is on the rise, affecting nearly 10% of people globally. So that's 10%. How many is that then? Uh, 1.3. Well, that's a that's 10. No, that's not 100 million, right? That's <clears throat> that's around. Um, no, that's even more, isn't it? Yeah. Because 100 million is one percent, right? We just yeah, said that. Yeah, yeah. So that's 10 times that. That's like a thousand. That's a billion. Yeah. Wow. That's dis- that's disgraceful. But anyway, according to Action Against Hunger from 2019 to 2022, so that's a billion people, right? It's affecting. The number of undernourished people grew uh, by as many as 150 million. Wow. A crisis driven largely by the three C's. Conflict, climate change and COVID-19 pandemic. Now, conflict remained the biggest driver of hunger around the globe for three consecutive years, including during the pandemic. Oxfam reports that the pandemic has also laid bare the greatest rise of inequality since records began. The estimated number of people living in extreme poverty is projected to reach 70, 70, 745 wow. million by the end of 2021. So that's like 10 UKs, right? 10 yeah. <laughs> UKs, right? Uh, an increase of 100 million since the pandemic started. 
The most marginalized people, including women, displaced people, and informal workers, have been hit the hardest. Meanwhile, the rich continue to get richer. The wealth of the ten richest people, nine of whom are men, not being sexist, but still, <laughs>、uh, increased by four hundred and th- oh my god, that's ridiculous! Four hundred and thirteen. Billion dollars、oh, just last year.、Goodness. No, that's enough to cover、uh, to cover the entire UN humanitarian appeal for 2021, more than 11, 11 times, times over.、Oh. I mean, I'm not being funny, Imran, right?、Mm-hmm. But actually, just、uh, recently or in the recent past, 44 billion was spent on the、uh, purchase of Twitter, Twitter.、Yeah. by a certain individual, right?、Mm-hmm. I mean, that could have easily wiped off. Food insecurity for the globe, absolutely. And, and now they've got this crappy. Oh, I would say sorry, sorry for using that kind of word, but this ineffective social media platform now, absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, you, as you quoted, totally, it, totally, totally nuts. Yeah, as you quoted, you know, four hundred and thirty billion、uh, dollar last year, just increase in in you know,、uh, of the ten、uh, of the richest people、uh, of the world, and it is you know enough to. Um, for entire UN humanitarian appeal for 2021, more than 11 times, and you know,、uh, this is、um, sadly, sadly, the, these are these this is、um, the data shows us. And also, if we talk about Islam, Islam encourages men to be responsible and compassionate member of his society, where each person is responsible for his own well-being and. He is also responsible to a certain degree、um, for his fellow men, and、uh, Islam taught us that those less fortunate than him have a right to、uh, to a portion of the wealth、um, that he earns, irrespective of whether they ask for it or not. So Quran states that, and in their wealth is a share for for one who asks for help and for one who cannot. So Islam indicates that within a society, food, clothing,、uh, water, and shelter are basic rights for everyone and must be de-、uh, must be provided to them.、Mm-hmm. So moreover, there are、uh, um, merits of other,、uh, you know,、uh, needs such as security,、uh, transportation, sanitation, and that must be provided for the uh, proper um, functioning of government and society.、Mm. I mean, it's just—it's just ridiculous, really.、Yeah. Right? I mean, I have had my socks blown off by these stats. That's <laughs>、yeah. uh, a comment to our,、uh, or a nod to our producers here who should be listening in.、Yeah. But it's in terms of the absolute—I am just gobsmacked、mm-hmm. uh, at the numbers that are in play here, and the the gap between. Or the inequality that has happened globally, and not just globally, in this we see it day in day out、mm-hmm. in this country as、mm-hmm. well, right? I mean, why why are people striking? Why are nurses striking currently? Striking,、yeah. Why are post office、uh, workers striking?、Mm-hmm. Why are train drivers striking? Right?、Mm-hmm. It's not because they want to become you know wealthy beyond you know beyond compare. Yeah. It's actually you know what I can't afford to pay、mm-hmm. for my electricity and be working. I mean, you know how. In, you know how inequitable is life currently?、Mm-hmm. You know that it's putting everything, you know, from the hands of many into the hands of the few, right? Absolutely.、Uh, but I think you know to, to actually just blow off some steam,、mm-hmm. we're going to go back to our team,、uh, our respected team of uh, uh, that is actually currently at IF20 in Abu Dhabi.
Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you. I think we're joined by Imam uh, Safir Khan at the moment. Assalamualaikum. How are you? Yeah, wa Safir. Uh, I'm actually quite warm now. I, I don't know if you've been hearing. I've been getting quite heated. Yeah, at the the stats that we've been banding around at the basically the inequality, the in, injustice that uh, yeah. you know the world is facing. But uh, you are more. I suppose akin to that in the sense that you're there over at uh, the 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 summit. Now, in, in terms, because you know this is one of the uh, topics I, I believe that you discussed today, food crisis. Now, ahead of the G20 summit uh, in Bali, a humanitarian aid package of two hundred and ten million euro was provided in fifteen countries to meet their growing needs. How is this money getting yeah. to the right people? I mean. For starters, is it getting to the right people? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that's a very interesting question, and uh, that's actually a question that wasn't properly answered in the discussion okay. uh, today. But, um, however, overall, the, the discussion was very good. But the problem uh, that we, uh, as a as a as a community, worldwide community, are facing, is the transparency of uh, of, of the funds. The transparency of how they are spent, and where, and at to as to what degree it filters down to those people who really need it. I mean, you did mention earlier, didn't you, about the uh, percentage of uh, people uh, globally who live in poverty? Yeah. And that uh, increased from 700 million in uh, since last year to now 1 billion people worldwide. I mean, that's that's a that's a number that is unbelievable, right? Yeah, so, exactly, it's, um, it's astounding. And, and what? Mm. Yes, yes. And two hundred fifty million pounds uh, or dollars. What is that going to do to sort out, you know, the the, the worldwide uh, famine or, or? Yeah, it's a drop in the people, ocean, uh, isn't it? Really? Yes, exactly. You know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, that so much money is being spent, for example, on arms trade, or mm-hmm. um, you know, there are probably single uh, billionaires who, uh, who who have more money than. They can uh, they can spend, uh, but still we, you know, are living in a world where um, where uh, for some reason um, the worldwide hunger cannot be solved. It, it is just down to, to us as human beings that what our priorities are. And I think that was the message very well reflected in one interview that we did today with uh, one one of the distinguished guests who mentioned that he pointed out a very interesting point. He said that it's not the um, problem of um, of the uh, of corruption of, of, of the world, but it's actually a, a problem of the corruption of our own selves as human beings that have reflected um, the state of the whole world. So if you look at it from the state of poverty as well, it's because we as humanity, we are not fulfilling our rights, mm-hmm. the rights of looking after each other. That's what, the, what is reflected um, in, in, in terms of, you know, uh, a billion of uh, people in poverty. So mm-hmm. again, um, as you mentioned, you know that sum of 250 million. How far is that going to go um, if people are not ready to take this? That that is not a serious sum. You know, <laughs> there are mm-hmm. there are probably organizations, countries. For them, 20, 250 million is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there there has to be a concerted effort, and um, um, you know there, there's much more needed to be done. Uh, mm-hmm. From, from those people who are the wealthiest. And again, I don't know if you mentioned that, but 1% of the whole world population actually hold 
almost you know the majority of the wealth that is uh, uh, in the world. Yeah, so it yeah. shows you again. I think it's less than one percent. Less than one percent, right? <laughs> yeah, hold yes. all the wealth in the universe. Okay, that's, okay. <laughs> that's I'm pushing it, right? But definitely globally, right? Less than one percent. It's ridiculous. I think Imran's got a, a question for you there, Safir. Yeah, Safir. Uh, so inequality is growing, you know, globally. Does the committee recognize the huge impact this has on poverty and, you know, hunger? As we discussed, you know, that uh, um, the 10 richest people in the world, nine of them, um, um, so they, they basically they increase their wealth around um, 400 billion dollar. So did committee discuss about these things? Um, sorry, can you just repeat that question? I just missed the first part. Of it. Yeah, so the question was that inequality is growing, you know, globally. And so, does does the yeah. committee recognize the huge impact this has on poverty and hunger? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. That was uh, one of the main discussion points of, uh, of, of, the, um, of the discussion around food crisis, about opportunities, about uh, inequality, obviously. I'll just give you one example. Uh, one thing that was discussed was how, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, countries that are desperate, desperately in need of investment or uh, countries that are desperately trying to develop, how they are sometimes taken advantage of in a way that uh, their land, uh, you know, is, is taken over in a sense that very small price is paid to them. Um, and, and their land is taken over, and whatever is extracted from their land um, that is worth way more than what they are getting, basically, right? So, if you, for example, say um, a, any country in Africa, for example, uh, a land from a from a rich country buys that land for say one million, mm-hmm. whereas they are extracting about two three hundred million worth of uh, you know resources from from that land. So that shows us that the um, it's, it's an ex- exploitation, really. It's unfair, um, and, and that goes against the human values of, uh, you know, equality and uh, fairness, really. Uh, exactly what, you know, we, we you, you talked about, Islam mm. as well, the justice mm. again. Uh, these are the things, unless we as humanity reform ourselves um, and, and think that we have mm. to be just in our actions, then on international level as well, it's going to be ugly and, mm. and that's what uh, been in the past and that's what uh, in some you know extent uh, we're also seeing today mm. i mean i think the thing is sophia i mean i've just seen uh, one of our well our, our, our senior producer i should say just uh put across our our uh, our telegram system that uh, and the headline was just i couldn't believe the headline that uh, you know uh children in yemen are so hungry, they're starved that they are gnawing their own fingers off. Goodness. I mean, I'll just uh, leave yes. that out there. The, you know, the impact of that should not be, uh, I don't know, lessened in any way, shape, or form. That in our, mm. in this day and age, we have left those who are more, um, you know, disadvantaged, right? regardless of if they're in a different country, that they have to resort to gnawing off their own fingers because they are starving. I mean, is that not truly an indictment of society that is, you know, know, that we are in today? But I suppose there's no point in just complaining 
right? And pointing fingers as to why we've got into this situation. And we're, you know, as you know, the voice of Islam, we know that uh, it's it's the inequity of the financial system. So yeah, yeah. we we talk about zakat, right? Now. Critics of the Islamic economic system have always argued that the distribution of wealth won't actually encourage drive and ambition to earn if you uh, need to give your wealth away. I mean, what do you say to that? I, I think that's, uh, again, an uh, allocation or a perception that's uh, lacking fundamental understanding of the you know, a uh, system of uh, Islamic uh, uh, finances and uh, how the distribution of wealth should be. Um, Islam does not say that you cannot be wealthy or that uh, you should give away all, all your wealth or that you should completely, um, you know, make people dependent on yourself. Islam doesn't say that. And I think that was something that, would, that was discussed in the breakout session today as well, that um, we have to make sure uh, when foreign aid is given that uh, the countries do not become dependent upon the donors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that we uh, sometimes see. That uh, and, and that's down to different reasons, right? It's, it's also down to uh, corruption. It's also down to uh, mismanagement, uh, lack of education, lack of a system in place, lack of transparency. So... Um, Islam does not encourage that sort of giving. What Islam says is that you know you you have to uh, yes give, but you also try to give knowledge. You have to the the, the, the best thing that you can give uh, someone is uh, knowledge, skills, you know, um, something that will benefit them for their whole life. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so that is that is the key. When when we see that aid previously. And maybe also uh, currently, because obviously we have we're still facing the same issues. The aid is given, uh, perhaps with some conditions, or aid is mm-hmm. given um, without any proper uh, accountability, without any um, you know training or transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, then that uh, you know goes to the to to the pockets of uh, those uh, you know th- those who are leaning towards corruption. So that. That creates uh, a broken system, and that kind Right. Uh, is Sophia Saab still there? Um, okay, well, we're just going to uh, carry on. Yeah, I think uh, it is a bit hard. It's snowing over here. Mm-hmm. It must be a sandstorm or something in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is a, such a crisis. I mean, we're going to end that there regarding... Uh, the food crisis but also another topic which was uh, discussed uh, on this first day was human trafficking now uh, also a massive massive because you can understand I suppose Imran yeah Mm -hmm. when you've got uh, a a billion people right who are displaced Mm -hmm. there's going to be vulnerable elements I mean they're all vulnerable okay but especially vulnerable like those youngsters who are displaced right mm-hmm. so they're prone they're they're i suppose targets they're they're ripe really for these human traffickers now reports suggest that uh, 50 million people are currently victims of modern day slavery and the number of people in slavery has risen significantly in the last five years although modern slavery is not defined in law uh it is used as an umbrella term 
covering practices such as forced labour, debt bondage, forced marriage, and human trafficking. Now, essentially, it refers to situations of exploitation that a person cannot refuse or leave because of threats, violence, coercion, deception, and abuse of power. Now, modern slavery. Uh, occurs in almost every country in the world and cuts across ethnic, cultural, and religious lines. More than half, 52%, of all forced labour and a quarter of all forced marriages can be found in upper-middle-income or high-income countries. So it's not predominantly just you know、mm-hmm. third-world, underdeveloped countries which、right. suffer this problem.、Uh, it's a problem that affects every country,、mm-hmm. uh, every country on earth. I mean, you know, is there a bit of background regarding slavery? Yeah. So,、uh, just to give you the, the flavor of the you know, history of slavery,、uh, first and foremost, it should be you know understood that as um, elaborated um, upon it in Encyclopedia Britannica, slavery actually begins in the world as a result of war. And initially, the、uh, manner in which people were found forced into slavery was through the、um, aftermaths of war. Uh, between two tribes or two nations or two countries, as a matter of fact, quite often, you know,、uh, many or all of the males belonging to the、um, defeat nation would be executed, and the women and the children, you know, except、uh, for those who were considered worthy of death, would be taken captive and you know,、um, uh, made slave. So after this, you know,、uh, this um, 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 when people, you know, have a feeling that, you know,、um, they can.、Uh, Capture as many slaves as they can, and they can, you know, um, um, make them work for their for their country or for their any、uh, for their、um, you know maybe for their fields or、uh, farms. So they actually you know start、um, capturing people, you know, innocent people,、mm-hmm. and、um, basically beca- become um, uh, giving them or, or、um, enslaving them for their for their goods and for they、mm-hmm. don't thinking about the other people. Mm. I mean, and victims of modern-day slavery might actually face violence or threats. So you can imagine now, I suppose, Imran. Yeah,、mm-hmm. if you've and and this is, I suppose, if we look at just the UK, and this is the argument from the UK government that actually it is these human traffickers,、mm-hmm. right,、uh, who are forcing、uh, these people to come on the、uh, on these、uh, little dinghies across from France,、mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm sure there is a percentage who、right. are, you know.、Um, In that circumstance, yeah, where you know they they you know they f- these 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 people face、uh, violence、uh, threats and are forced you know into in, inescapable debt,、mm-hmm. right, or have their passports taken away and face being threatened with deportation. Now, many people have fallen into this trap because you know they were trying to escape that poverty, that insert、uh, insecurity, you know, improve their lives、mm-hmm. uh, and support their families, and you know now they can't leave. Uh, they've been trapped, right? right? So people have ended up、uh, in this 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 trap of slavery and are vulnerable at being tricked, trapped,、uh, exploited. Now people can、uh, can be particularly vulnerable to modern day slavery、uh, when external circumstances push them into taking these risky decisions. But to speak more about this, we're joined by、uh, another senior figure in the Voice of Islam organization, and that is our General Secretary Imam、uh, Majib. Uh, Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Imam. 
Assalamualaikum, Talib. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. So yeah, you're welcome. You you're know, welcome. You, you, you've been kind of like uh, part of this, uh, the IF20. And uh, one of the, uh, I suppose, the topics there was about uh, today, human trafficking. Now, why, you know, is human trafficking still an issue in today's society, right? When you think, you know, we'd, uh, I think Imran is giving a bit of a, a history you know, is go back you know, to the 16th, no, not even the 16th century, you know, in the time of the Holy Prophet, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, in the time of the Holy Prophet, he abolished it. So how comes it's still here? Well, it's a good question uh, you asked, because it, it was actually discussed today, and somebody asked the same question, and one of the answers I was given was that if there is demand for something, then there will be supply. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. all based on supply and demand. But at the, 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 the it, that's a sad situation. But secondly, it was also mentioned that you will always find vulnerable people in society, and what then happens is that some uh, sometime those vulnerable people will be exploited, and one of the ways they'll be exploited is human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so you know how does human trafficking, you know, impact global peace, and how does you know the you know the committee you know aim to tackle it because it's not you know like we said it's it's not an overnight situation it's a situation that's been there since time immemorial well uh, that's exactly what was discussed and one of the things that we spoke about quite heavily was that how we need to raise awareness that this is happening because one of the things that we're seeing is that it's happening in a very hidden format so it's very hidden away it's not at the forefront anymore, and uh, people are not going to know about this, that they are being trafficked. And only when, when, when it's late, late, very late stage, they realize, okay, I've been, you know, I've been exploited, and uh, my freedom has Should been taken away from me. Question four or five? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry? No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, carry on, carry on. My, my, my apologies. Yeah, so I was, I was saying... It's okay. So I was saying it's very at later stage where they realise that they're being exploited and mm-hmm. and okay, that wasn't me. <laughs> we we seem to have dropped there uh, our, our our connection with uh, Abu Dhabi. Um, maybe it is that sandstorm. It hasn't uh, worked, or we're trying to get them back again. But in terms of uh, you know, I suppose. Yeah, we did have crises which enabled these human trafficking gangs to prey upon mm-hmm. uh, these uh, dis- well, they kind of like the the more vulnerable elements of those people who are dis- uh, who are disenfranchised from their countries or are fleeing from their countries. Uh, I believe we're actually joined again by uh, Imam Majib. Are we back with you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, the thing line dropped. Go on, darling. Yeah, no, no. I think it's a sandstorm in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I, I think um, you know we've covered that quite. Yeah, you know, you've you've quite eloquently answered that question. I think Imran's got a question for you. Yeah. So Imam, no, no. Um, as we know that you know the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he abolished uh, slavery. Um, so how was you know how was the Holy Prophet Sallallahu and his companion treat towards, towards uh, Hazrat Bilal and you know there were so many uh, slaves who you know uh, they, they accepted Islam in, in the beginning so how was their treatment? Well uh, you see uh, the Holy Prophet and his companions everything they did what they did by lead by 
by leading by example. Mm-hmm. And in this case as well, they led by example that it, you are right, Sebi was very evident in, in, in that time, in that era. So one of the things that Dolphism did was to ensure that, you know, we treat every human equally, and whether that's the slave or whether it's a free individual, everyone is equal. And that equality doesn't just mean that's it. There's respect and how you how you deal with slaves if you do have slaves, what what kind of uh, rights they have. Mm-hmm. So putting all that in perspective, informing the Muslim world, which was to come, that if there is slavery, it will be on this. The well, in a way, he he did abolish slavery, mm-hmm. but he also mentioned that you know the respect of human as a whole. Is mm-hmm. the utmost priority when it comes to Islam. Mm, excellent. We're very well put there, Imam Majid. Well, thanks for joining us once again and uh, providing those those insights into today's uh, um, today's IF20 forum. Thank you very much for joining this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Brandon. You. Thank you. Um, so that actually brings us to the end of our show. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to play you an address from. Uh, His Holiness, the worldwide le- uh, leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, and this address was given to the guests at the Joseph Solana Holland in 2019. But just before then, I should give a big shout out to uh, our producers, Nur As-Sabah and uh, Faiza Khan, uh, our tech support, uh, Zishan, my co-host uh, Imran Akram and myself, Talib Man. That was, or well, today was, Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. As a religious leader, I firmly believe that instead of being the cause of today's problem, religion is the answer and from an Islamic perspective, the solution is quite simple. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, taught that a true peace of mind requires for a person to recognize God Almighty and to develop a connection with him because, according to Islam, one of the attributes of God Almighty is that he is the source of peace. He desires for his creation to live peacefully, irrespective of any differences of religion or belief. Furthermore, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, taught that Allah the Almighty is the provider and sustainer of all the creation. He does not just provide for Muslims, but His grace encompasses all humanity, be the Christian, Hindus, Sikhs, Jews, or the people of other faiths and beliefs, and indeed of those who have no faith and deny His existence. Islam instructs Muslims to emulate to the best of their abilities the attributes of God and so the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, stated (coughs) repeatedly that his followers must be compassionate and considerate and strive to impart peace to others. A golden principle given by the founder of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, is that a true Muslim should like for others what he likes for himself. I believe that this simple and profound point, if acted upon, 
not just by Muslims, but by all people, is the means for everlasting peace in society. No doubt, everyone desires peace for themselves and their loved ones, but most people will be lying if they claim that they want their opponents and, uh, and uh, uh, competitors to have peace and to live with contentment. Yet, this is the standard of nobility and generosity of spirit that Islam requires. It is a religion and teaching <clears throat> that promotes selflessness <coughs> and urges, <coughs> urges uh, humans to discard all traces of selfishness. The principle given by Islam's prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, is that a person should be open-hearted and pure of mind. Instead of desiring only the best of him, for himself, a person should desire the same for others as well. Sadly, in today's world, we tend to see the opposite. Modern society is consumed by self-interest and, and greed. Disorder, conflict, and warfare are on the rise and the principles of equity and justice are being consistently discarded. This is illustrated by the foreign policies of many powerful and rich countries. It has been a constant theme of modern history that dominant powers have sent their armies to distant uh, lands on the, on the pretext of establishing peace, but time has proven that their real objective has been to protect and enhance their vested interests. During such conflicts, if just one of their soldiers dies, there's an outpouring of grief and the pledge to take revenge. Yet, when their bombs or munitions cause the death of hundreds or even thousands of innocent civilians, including defenseless women and children, they remain silent and do not express any hint of regret or remorse. The, consequence, uh, the consequences of such justice, uh, injustice are extremely damaging and far-reaching. The local people <coughs> see that their lives are deemed to be of far less worth and value than the lives of those who are from powerful nations. As they deserve the stark double standards and the lack of humanity, they become overcome by frustration, anger, and resentment, and their emotions threaten to boil over at any time. The peace and security of such nations lie in ruins, but the rest of the world would be foolish to think that they will not be affected. Rather, the world is now so interconnected that the, the ramifications of hostilities in one part of the world <coughs> are bound to uh, spread beyond borders. And we have seen many examples of this in recent years.
<clears throat> Hence, if we genuinely desire peace, whether in our personal lives or at a collective level, the pivotal point is that we should like for others what we like for ourselves. <clears throat>